Good afternoon and welcome to the Becker Spine Orthopaedic and Pain Management Driven ASC and the Future of Spine Virtual Events. We're so excited to have you join us for our closing keynote interview, Innovation, Creativity and Excellence. I'm Alan Conlon with Becker's Hospital Review and I'll be your moderator for today's session. Before I introduce today's presenter, I'd like to go over a few housekeeping items. We'll have time at the end of today's presentation for a short question and answer session. You can submit any questions you have throughout the presentation by typing them into the Q&A box you see on your screen. If we do not have time to get to your question, we'll follow up with you directly after the event. We look forward to hearing your questions. You'll also find a few engaging tools on your dashboard. Be sure to check out our resources section and fill out our event survey. This session is being recorded and will be available on, the on demand following today's event. We'll send you instructions on how to access the on-demand recording once today's event concludes. At this time, it is now my pleasure to start today's session by introducing our presenter. That is Dr. James Lynch, spinal neurosurgeon and founder and chairman of Spine Nevada. Dr. Lynch has 25 years of experience as a spinal neurosurgeon, performing more than 500 spine surgeries annually in hospitals and ASCs. After earning his medical degree from Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland, he completed a neurosurgery residency at Mayo Clinic and three fellowships in spine surgery. In 2004, Dr. Lynch founded Spine Nevada, where he operates as chairman and CEO. He also serves as a partner and director of spine services at Regent Surgical Health, as well as chairman and director of spine programs, spine programs of, at Surgery Center of Reno. Jim, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. To kick things off and get the ball rolling, uh, I'd love to firstly just get your, get your insight and ask you, what innovations do you, are you most excited about in spine in the next five years? Well, there's a whole spectrum of innovation that's occurring here, which really helps us with patient um, you know, outcomes and, and uh, better care in, in, you know, for the long run. So I think if we look at it, it navigation is clearly one of the most important uh, aspects of that. It's really developed well over the years and really come to fruition as a baseline platform. It's really navigation is akin to what MRI uh, did for imaging uh, back in the 80s. So the advancements in navigation, whether it's the standard platform, Medtronic, O-Arm, Brain Lab uh, system has kind of allowed us to get to the next level then in robotics, and that's Mazor, um, Brain Lab, Cirque, and then indeed uh, the Globus Excelsius uh, robot. The next uh, event now, the next level of iteration that I'm excited about is truly uh, augmented reality, and that's uh, Augmentix. It's called X-Vision. And um, this really is a, a you know, x-ray vision. It's virtual uh, spine care. You're looking with a heads-up display, uh, looking at a 3D uh, image of your spine and the, the CT scan being uh, placed on your retina. And you can do really true image guidance uh, in the standard fashion, but it's, it's really a direct hands-on. You're not looking at a screen. And it has all the advantages of a neuro navigation platform, yet it, it's, it's perfect. It's, a lot more cost effective, it's better for hospitals in this current climate, uh, it's perfect for surgical centers and looking at uh, ASCs in future and doing minimally invasive spine care. Um, and uh, I'm really excited about that, we're, we're just starting it here in our practice and in Reno and uh, looking forward to it. I think the next thing is that we get away from navigation, if we look at, no question about it, surface technology, implant design and technology is huge. We've seen that nanotechnology and whether it's with uh, a Titan surface and a lot of uh, movement away from peak uh, plastic products, which are basically um, inert plastic rings with uh, an expensive uh, biologic inside in it. Uh, now we've moved to using the, the titanium cages themselves, 3D printing, 
has really helped that and made it a more cost-effective and, and novel design technology. And that's taken, you know, companies like 4Web, and there have been a lot of iterations and copies of it. 4Web looking at um, mechanobiology in a kind of a snowshoe effect where you uh, distribute the load across the surface of the implant uh, to the bone, and that, that lets, leads to higher fusion rates, less subsidence, and uh, really it's another uh, advancement in that, uh, that, that field. Um, as we're looking uh, going forward, interlaminar technology is huge. Uh, we had um, iterations where we had um, clamps placed in the back of various descriptions, and then we had Coflex, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Coflex, uh, which allowed some motion. And the, the newer iterations now, there's a Vertiflex implant, but the one I'm actually really excited about, which has revolutionized my practice, is a Minuteman uh, spinal simplicity implant. And um, while it can be used standalone, I use it to back up uh, 360s, uh, so anterior uh, constructs with the X lifts, and um, I call it the, the U360. It's a unique 360 or uni incisional 360. So that's a game changer for us. You know, we're getting for the spine surgeons and uh, the hospital is a, a DRG 454, um, which is a, a front back code, but instead of single position. Uh, dual incision surgery, putting screws in the back. We just do everything through one small incision in the side, and that's one level or two level. And um, you know that that's, can be an outpatient. I've done it as an outpatient, uh, but it, it's game changing. You're placing the X lift and uh, through the incision from the front, and then the percutaneous uh, interspinous clamp with Minuteman Spinal Simplicity through the same incision through the back, and uh, you know, the patient can go home the same day or certainly in the hospital within 24 hours. That, that's been huge uh, if we look at that. Well, I'm excited about that, and uh, they're really the, the huge advancements as we see going forward. There are many others. Fantastic, so a couple of stuff you're excited about, obviously robotics will continue to be a trend, uh, new implant design, surface technology, and augmented reality. I think that's uh, something that's gonna be really exciting uh, in the future, specifically in the orthopedic and spine space. Can I just ask you, what technologies do you think will become more prominent as a result of the, the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, I think COVID-19 has, has really revolutionized telemedicine. If we look at virtual uh, telemed going forward, um, there are so many barriers to that in the past, both uh, culturally, patients were, were not all that into it. They were concerned about data sharing and the platforms there. There was obviously a cost and payments, who would pay for it, the insurers, that was a big hurdle, and, uh, and regulations in general. Um, so there were some of the big barriers, but uh, CMS really came in and with this uh, crisis has changed this around uh, entirely. Um, and I think looking at the future, while there may be a little um, uh, restriction of it after the crisis, I, I believe it's front and center. I think patient's adaptation has been huge. We did telemedicine over five years ago. We put a system in there. It cost over $10,000 to reach out to the remote areas in the, our Nevada. And uh, now you can do it on an iPhone or an iPad uh, with truly no added cost. I think what's changed in that is, you know, the first week we started this in March, we said, we're going to do some telemedicine. This is great. We called patients and patients were like, you know, is this a crank call? Please don't call me back. And within a week, they saw it on TV. They saw it in their primary care doctor office that this was an accepted form of care and then this was safety uh, for the at-risk populations and, and for the rural populations and, and it really was protection for our staff. 
So I think telemedicine is, is going to be uh, huge. We've been working with uh, TelePT for years. We partnered with, uh, as a, indeed, an Irish group, uh, Salasso, for over four years ago. And they, uh, it's, it's basically customizable remote physical therapy. We've been using it in our practice uh, to good avail over the last four years. Um, but the big issue was trying to get the insurance companies to adopt it and to, to actually pay for it. So this, this, is, this will change things around to see that this is a, an opportunity to have patients use telemedicine, whether it's telept, uh, teleneurology has been well accepted, uh, and telepsychology, because their, their needs, their, their uh, specialties that haven't really been uh, accessible to patients before. So I think that's going to change it. Obviously, teledermatology is a huge one as well. So I think if we look at COVID, what it's done, it's really fast-forwarded it. Uh, something that would be harder for a hospital to institute a large group of uh, practitioners uh, really occurred overnight. So what would traditionally take years to change the mindset of the providers and the community and the patients occurred uh, within um, a month, one month period, and now it's standard accepted practice. Taking that further, if you look at uh, Teladoc, you know, their, their shares have gone, they're a $13 billion, $13 billion cap company. Their shares have doubled in this year alone, uh, and, and patients are just using that platform. And um, that's probably the single biggest change. And I think patients themselves are just more consumer uh, aware uh, of what their, their opportunities are with their healthcare plans. And uh, this will allow us to, to use the data with HIPAA compliant data and safety measures and cybersecurity, et cetera, going forward. Yeah, I know, you know, the advancement of telehealth and telemedicine has been, you know, welcomed with open arms by orthopedic physicians uh, over the past couple of months. Um, and hopefully it continues to grow in that space. Can I, can, uh, following on from that, I'd like to kind of get your insight on where you see, Jim, the biggest opportunities for spine surgeons in the current landscape. I think like everything, it, it's, it's regional specific for sure. It's very hard to have strong generalizations. And if we just take um, you know, uh, uh, the standard uh, group, what do we have to do? We have to prepare for the future now. So I think building a musculoskeletal uh, differentiated practice with the whole um, uh, spectrum of patient care is important. I think the isolated silos of practice, uh, whether it's surgery or pain management or PMNR, working um, individually, I think, except if you're in remote areas, I think that's going to change. Um, there's a rapid transformation occurring. And that may be not in months, but certainly over the next three to five years, I believe, will be an adequate uh, timeline. So I think preparing for that and differentiating your practice is important. Um, I think focusing on uh, uh, partnerships or investments in an ASC platform, it's just a natural transition uh, to see that. Um, currently, we can, uh, maybe it's 10, 15% of spine cases are being done in an ASC platform. Um, this is far too low. Uh, and uh, Bain Capital came up and they, they thought this will change to 30 to 40% over the next uh, few years. And I believe that that's going to be the case. Um, if we look at uh, preparing for value-based care, the, the lowest cost of, of service is going to be the, 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 the facility that's going to be of choice. So if you're involved in a, a model where it's um, clinically, clinically integrated network, um, you're going to want to bring that patient to the appropriate site. Um, for instance, uh, while we're spine surgeons, carpal tunnel syndrome, uh, you know, carpal tunnel release is a very common surgery that should never be done in a hospital. The cost of care of providing that uh, time in a hospital is just too expensive for that lower, lower acuity case 
and therefore that lower reimbursement as well. So the reality is you have to get the right patient, the right procedure in the right facility. So basic surgeries, um, laminectomies, laminotomies, minimally invasive approaches, and the game has changed a lot. Minimally invasive spine fusions uh, can be done easily in an ASC, and that's, as the technology evolves, the facility and the site of care will have to evolve. Uh, the same with anterior cervicals. We've been doing ASC in Reno, Surgical Center Reno, uh, for the last 15 years, and, and our evolution has just matched the uh, change in technology. So I think you put that together, and you just really have to look at your practice differentiation. Uh, we focused over 15 years ago on, on a platform of minimally invasive, and then just really focused that even further and doubled down in the last 10 years. Uh, and each five years, there's, there's remarkable changes in technology, and we've adopted those, and we've really uh, tried to differentiate that uh, to work with outpatient surgery more, and whether that's in a hospital setting and they go home the same day or, or indeed less than 24 hours, that's a huge benefit to the healthcare system. And indeed the patients want it. The patients are very aware of the advantages that gives it with lower cost of care, um, easier recovery, um, and less destruction, less long-term uh, uh, instability. As we're going forward, there's no question about it that um, access is important for your practice, getting the patients in sooner. We developed SpinaVata Direct, so patients could go and be seen in an earlier fashion with, uh, with minimum symptoms, maybe acute back strain or musculoskeletal. We have a, a swift orthopedic urgent care as well to take care of that. And, uh, you know, those patients that have, you know, three days of back sprain and they want to go to see a specialist, they're entitled to do that. But uh, it's not a good utilization of resources if they wait three weeks then to see a neurosurgeon in a community. Uh, they should be seen acutely. And uh, in doing so, with that access of care, it's lower cost, number one. It's um, you avoid the narcotic uh, chain of events. You avoid pain behavior. You get the patient straight into physical therapy, very similarly to how an athlete would be treated. A high-level athlete is certainly not going to wait uh, three weeks to see a neurosurgeon. They'll be seen immediately, get appropriate imaging, get start physical therapy uh, as a first side of care. And, and that's kind of the model that has to change, I believe. Um, I believe the last thing is really just how we approach partnerships and alliances and, and um, how we really align ourselves going forward in a, a value-based care environment. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jim. Uh, on that note, um, touching on value-based care and strategic partnerships, with the goal, as the industry continues its push towards, um, you know, achieving this value-based care and providing, uh, providing high-quality care, how, how important, how big of a role will consolidation play in the industry? Uh, consolidation, once there's opportunity, um, there'll be consolidation. Um, whether it's the ASC environment, where 20, 28% of, of surgical centers are controlled by large corporations, and then that gives opportunity because the other 72% are relatively independent. So when there's opportunity, consolidation will occur. And this results in, in you know, better platforms for delivery of care. Um, we're currently involved in partnering with a, a large national uh, musculoskeletal partner who really developing a network of musculoskeletal centers across the country. And the idea is really focusing on population health, clinical integrated networks, and really at-risk models. So this is really aligning uh, the physician groups who deliver the care uh, with the, the hospitals and the healthcare centers uh, and the healthcare plans indeed. And to do that though, it's very difficult for a private practice to have that infrastructure involved. So it's sort of, 
you know, the, you know where the next level is, but we don't have the individual infrastructure to do that. So that's where consolidation truly results in, in uh, alignment, uh, better outcomes, lower cost of care, and is really, you know, transforming the whole uh, healthcare um, paradox and uh, that, you know, bending the cost curve, as they say, to bring it down. And I think that's going to, we're going to see more of that occur for value-based care. The West Coast, California has done it traditionally. The East Coast uh, has really truly remained in a fee-for-service model. So the non-fee-for-service models are going to uh, sprout up more. And I think, you know, the, the rest of the country is sort of a mix. Um, but we're heading there in the next, whatever, three to five years, I believe. Fantastic. And Jim, uh, finally, I'd love to get your two cents on what do you see as a, the leadership qualities most important for healthcare innovation? Well, I think inspired physician leadership is really about creating influence and impact. So I use that kind of as a, uh, for my, my memory is not so good now, so I use little, you know, mnemonics like that or little acronyms, so uh, CI squared. So if you can create influence, and that's across a variety of spectrums, whether the influence is in your staff, number one, and your practice amongst your partners uh, and the community. And I think, and then obviously taking that to another step forward with the uh, hospital uh, leadership uh, and then insurance companies. You, you have to really take ownership there and create the influence. And now, how do you do that to have that impact? I think you have to have a disciplined approach as a leader uh, to strategic planning. And then demonstrate really resiliency, and particularly times like now, uh, that's important. Leadership has really come to, to fruition. You really have to lead through this crisis. You can't just manage or micromanage. There are people who do that. You should have that set in, in motion. You have to demonstrate transparency. And transparency has to come in a, a practice uh, where you create a safety net so that staff are, are comfortable and then really so they can question and, and, and uh, It's really seeing that the future together, that we are stronger together with better outcomes if we partner truly. And we've got to put away some of maybe our, uh, our distant past or our disagreements. Uh, no question about it. There's, there's a benefit to all in that. I think, it, like everything, you have to have emotional intelligence. That's important. If you, if you don't have it, uh, you're at a loss. I think you can learn it. And you have to have humility, oh, no question about it going forward. Um, there are a lot of aspects to that, but I think as a leader, um, I think we all know where we need to do something, how we need to do it, but the big question is why we need to do it. And I think if you can get that across the line and focus on that with your staff as to why you do something. So for instance, if you tell somebody, look, we need to make a change here, we have to have uh, cost reductions, we have to furlough people, and all that. And as a, as a leader, you, these are just basic economic principles, but you can't just assume that uh, because then you're miscalculating. You're miscalculating their uh, uh, interpretation of it. So it's very important to get the why. And if you can get the why with your staff, with your colleagues, with your competitors, or indeed with the hospital, I think you're on a winner. And that's part of the leadership to explain 
why you're doing something. We're going to do this, implement it, because. And you have to explain, because we're going to save, because we're going to give better patient care. And I think that's all, you know, something you have to work on. And, um, you know, there's a, a whole lot of opportunity to innovate your practice by developing um, culture and as a focus on that, for sure. Fantastic. Jim, thank you so much. Um, from myself personally, it's been a real pleasure to have you on today. And I know from everyone here at the Becker's team, uh, really great and appreciate your time and, and your insights today. Uh, and, to, and to our attendees who joined us, thank you for, for making the time to be a part of our spine, orthopedic and pain management driven ASC and the future of spine virtual events. And please let us know if you have any questions, comments or feedback. Thank you.